Choir, as you're making your way down, I want to thank you for that. Thank you all, you musicians, for leading us in worship this morning. It's been a sweet morning in the house of God, and, and I thank you for your contribution, uh, first to the Lord and then to us as we draw near to Him. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, I invite you to find 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. We began a whole new message series this week called Abide on this little epistle. We'll be in 1 John for the next several weeks. Today we'll read down to chapter 2, verse 2 from 1 John. Looks like you have found your places. Hear now the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let's pray. Our good, our sweet, our holy God, we thank you on this Lord's Day for the gift of worship. We thank you for the command of worship. You have told us to draw near. And Lord, as we do, we... we experience the truth of your promise that you draw near to us in the gathering. So Lord, we thank you for your near presence. We thank you that by your spirit you are here as real and as close as our breath. And Lord, we thank you for your word that leads us in life, that shows us the way, that is the light for our journey. Lord, as we come to a portion of it together today, we pray that you would do a work among us that would make us more like Christ. To this end, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes that we would see and our ears that we would hear. 
Give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in good soil. Give us feet that will walk quickly to do your will. Make our hands strong, God, that our work in this world would be like your own. Lord, when we leave this place on this Lord day and enter the rest of our week, we pray that a word of hope and life and love and grace would be found on our tongues. Lord, this and all our prayers, we pray in the holy and the mighty name of Jesus. And we say together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. As we get started today, I have a survey question. How many of you are planning on being cryogenically frozen upon your death? Anybody? <laughs> we don't have many takers on that deal. Uh, maybe one or two. I, I don't know. But from the time I was little, I've sort of been fascinated by this idea of cryogenics. It all started with Star Wars. Do you remember when Han Solo got in, a, got in debt to Jabba the Hutt and they froze that boy? I mean, he was just like this. He was just stuck. And so when I was playing Star Wars with my brothers and my cousins and my friends, every now and then you, you could become frozen. And so, so we would just become cryogenically frozen, sometimes for just a few minutes. Sometimes if we were picking on one of our cousins, it would be longer, maybe all afternoon. We'd just leave him there parked over in the side until they were saved by a grandmother or something like that. But, but the cryogenics was a thing. I remember when Ted Williams died and, and it was reported that they had cryogenically frozen his head. Uh, because Ted, you know, he wanted to be, be revived one day, maybe attach a better body to it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day Ted will be uh, woken up from his cryogenic freeze and, and discover that the whole world's playing soccer. Ted's going to be very disappointed by the, by the whole situation. Ted's going to be very, very disappointed. Uh, cryogenics, uh, if you're planning on doing it for real, it's just kind of weird, okay? Let's just get that out. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get out of the way. Uh, but, but it is a fascinating storyline, and it was a major part uh, of a Woody Allen film, and the film was called Sleeper, 1973 film. Uh, Woody Allen plays a jazz musician who is also the owner of a health food store called the Happy Carrot in Greenwich Village. Uh, I can see William Love going into the Happy Carrot to shop. Uh, if there was ever a person that would go to the Happy Carrot, it's our friend, Brother Love. Uh, and, and, and he went to the doctor, and there was a, a series of misfortunes, uh, and he was cryogenically frozen. And then 200 years later, they, they thaw Woody out in a dystopian future. And I won't ruin the storyline for you. I won't even suggest you watch the movie, but that's up to you. Uh, but when they wake him up, there is a scene where they're going through uh, a series of photographs from Woody Allen's day, from, from his character's day, and, and having him identify things about those photographs. Famous people. You know, what comes to your mind first when you see this? Uh, and and they, they showed him a picture of Billy Graham. Of Billy Graham. And the character immediately spits out of his mouth, Billy Graham claimed to have a relationship with God. And of course, that was the laugh line. Something so outrageous, no serious person could take it Seriously, Billy Graham claimed to have a relationship with God. Now, the fact of the matter is, Woody Allen took Billy Graham rather seriously. There's a great interview between the two of them. You can still see it on YouTube. I rewatched it this week, and it was great. They were, they were both young and in their prime, and they were just, the banter back and forth was smart and, and charitable and witty. Woody Allen said of Billy Graham, he said, 
This man is the best in the world of doing what he does. He says he's charming and provocative. I think in his heart, Woody Allen knew that Billy Graham lived with a provocative possibility. And that provocative possibility was that we can have a relationship with God. Writer Tim Stafford had this same type of provocative possibility in his heart. He was a Christian as a young man, and he he had a job working as a dishwasher in a restaurant in Connecticut. He told a story about one day he's back there and he's washing dishes and, and he's there with one of his coworkers and, and he could describe her uh, because of her bodacious eye makeup. You just kind of envision her as like a Tammy Faye Baker dishwasher, you know. He said it was just deep greens and blues all over her face. He said we were raised so differently. Our experiences were so different and I, I dismissed so much of this young woman's life. He said, but one day we were back there and we were washing dishes together and, and over the loudspeaker in the restaurant, it was one of those restaurants where it's always too loud, you can't talk with friends. You know those restaurants? It was just booming out music, and it was George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. Do you remember that old song? Alleluia. I won't sing it for you. It'll ruin your lunch. You know, but, but she's back there, and they're washing dishes, and My Sweet Lord, I really want to know you, but it takes so long. That line came on, and that that dishwasher conversation got serious as the young woman looked at Tim Stafford. She says, let me tell you something happened yesterday to me. She says, I was back here washing these same dishes. And all the songs that we always hear in this restaurant, they just run on a loop. They were, they were running yesterday too as I was washing dishes. And when that song came on and George Harrison sang, my sweet Lord, I really want to know you. I just began to weep uncontrollably. I began to weep. She looked at Tim. He'd sort of concealed his faith. She says, what do you think that was about? Looking back on that day with their hands in the dishes, he he looks back on it with regret. He said, I wish I would have been able to tell her, there is a God, there is a Lord He can be known and he wants to be known and and this is what God has done to make him known and and this is how you can know him. But as a young man trembling with his fingers in the dishes, he just remained mute. He would have liked to have told her that her tears, her tears began to flood her face because God is gracious and always at work that God never sleeps nor does he slumber. Knowing God is indeed a provocative possibility. And humans have this deep in, deep in our bone marrow. We have this deep in our bone marrow. There's an agnostic writer named Julian Barnes who has given us a wonderful line. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I miss him. There indeed is a hunger to know and to be known by God. It is a provocative possibility. And it's a live one. 
And you may not be there, but if you are, let me just suggest to you, if it is possible that there is a God and that he wants to be known and he wants to know you, if there is just the wild laugh line of a possibility that you can have a personal relationship with God, it needs to be the chief passion of your existence. And here's the thing. Here's what I believe that God in his grace makes it where this is not some uh, run through a labyrinth or a, mat, a rat on a, on a treadmill. This is not some uh, sweated up hard effort. This is coming to the place in life where we recognize that God has turned to us in graciousness and love. He's come to us to make himself known to us. This is the heart and soul of John's passion in 1 John, he writes to people in Ephesus years and years and years and years ago about the possibility of having a relationship with God and the form it will take and what it will look like, what it will smell like, and what it will taste like. He says, God can be known because of Christ. He said, I touched him. I heard him. I put my my cheek on his breast and heard that heartbeat. I know that he died and was raised. I was there to handle the word of life as it was manifested in the world. And he said, and this is what I declare to you. He wanted them to know that God can be known because God is great and God is good and God has drawn Very, very near. Martin Luther said of this little epistle, he said, so beautifully, so gently does it present Christ to us. For the next several weeks, we're going to visit that beautiful and gentle presentation of Christ. Whereby his spirit, Christ will walk among us again And by his grace we'll hear, come to me, come to me, and know me as I know you. If you can't bring yourself to commit to that, would you commit to the provocative possibility? Because if it's true, and I believe it is, I've put all my chips across that felt table. I believe it's true. And even in those moments where I cry out, help my unbelief, I have a Lord that's holding me. But if it's true, we got some problems. In life, we got some problems. There, there's some roadblocks to knowing God intimately and personally and in a real vital way. And God meets our problems with his gracious provision each and every time. And the provision is always the same. The provision has a face in his name, and his name is Jesus the Christ. But before we get to that beautiful and gentle presentation of the provision, what on earth are the problems? What stands in our way? What makes this possibility a laugh line? Why does it seem so unattainable? The problems, if you want to sketch them down, are the problems of death and sin. Sin 
and death. Not that long ago, Charles Barkley, the basketball uh, player. Remember Charles, Sir Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound? He was quite a ball player. He might be a better broadcaster. As a broadcaster, he was talking about the beloved Dirk Nowinski of the Dallas Mavs. Uh, Dirk's building neighborhoods around these parts, I hear tell these days. He's moving into his next scene of life. But this is as his basketball career was starting to just kind of go down the crest a little bit. And, and, and Charles Barkley said, let me tell you about old Dirk. He said, Father Time gets us all. He says, I'm right about Father Time every single time. He says, I was right about Father Time about me and Michael Jordan and everybody else. And he says, and Father Time's catching up with Dirk. We just got to accept that. You know who didn't want to accept that? The Dallas Maverick fan base. You didn't want to accept that. I didn't want to accept that. But Barkley was right. And then he adds this, and this is a wild sentence. He says, I tell people there ain't but two things undefeated. Father Time and what got Bobby Petrino in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aggies. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not messing with you today. Father Time. That's death. What got Bobby in trouble? Some of y'all might have to look this story up. What got Bobby in trouble was the same thing that gets us all in trouble, and that's sin. Sin and death in our own strength are two undefeated foes throughout the history of the world. Death, time keeps ticking away, doesn't it? Death makes us ask the question, what's the matter with matter? And this was going on in, in the church that John was writing to. They were trying to escape the surly bonds of matter. They had this proto-gnosticism that said everything that was spiritual was good, everything that was material is evil, and the way we overcome death and the material is just to shuck it and move on. We have our own versions of that in this day because we're facing the great challenge that is our mortality. And death is undefeated. The mortality rate still right there, 100%. No one's cheated it. Our little dog who we love so much, Lily Bell, we had to say goodbye to Lily Bell a couple of weeks ago, and I tell you, this big old man cried like a baby. We took Lily Bell in to see Dr. Cox, who I think is one of the most wonderful veterinarians in the history of veterinarians. A sweet gentleman with a master's degree from Truett Seminary, bivocational preacher, great theologian, and wonderful vet. I'm standing there with Lily, Meredith beside me, and they said, Matt, the thing about it is we just can't outrun our birthdays. That's a challenge. It's a challenge to knowing a God who is the word of life. What will we do with this death with the possibility of an author of life. And on this Labor Day weekend, Labor Day weekends of all weekends, Jimmy Buffett had the audacity to die. I almost wore a pink carnation today in honor of the man. Great storyteller out of Pascagoula. And he's known for Hawaiian shirts and manana. But if you go back and listen to the catalog, there is a vein of mortality that runs throughout his songs, raised in that Catholic church, raised in that Southern culture, he knew the score and what things tasted like. And there's a beautiful line. He said, summers and winters, they scatter like splinters.
and 20 years just faded away. Boy, you ever felt the fading of the years? You ever felt the summers and winters scatter like dust? Sir Charles was right. Death is undefeated. And death is undefeated because of sin. You say, oh no, that's an old-fashioned category, but it has very, very present tense implications. The Scripture story says we were made by God, we were made for God, we were made that God would have first place in all things. And in the face of this beautiful Creator, we said, nope, my turn. And all of us like sheep have gone astray, deciding we were going to be the prince and potentate of our own existence. And we've turned this world into a big game of hungry, hungry hippos. And even those people who deny the reality of sin believe in it the first time their car is stolen. <laughs> there are people who deny sin and shout for justice and you can't have it both ways. Sin's a problem. And people denied it in John's day and people denied it in our day. It's like denying gravity. I could stand up on that balcony and say, I forthrightly refuse to believe in gravity. And there would be a 300-pound grease spot right about where Todd Still is sitting right there if I jumped off that balcony. The provocative possibility is that there is a God that can be known what stands in the way is the specter of death and the grip of sin. And into this environment, the beloved disciple speaks. And gently and beautifully, he presents Jesus the Christ as the provision in the face of our problems. And faithful Christians have echoed that throughout the, throughout the years. One of those who has is St. Athanasius, whose book on the Incarnation is one of the most important words on Christ drawing near. Emmanuel, God with us, the one who tabernacled in the flesh to rob our sin and make us holy. And this is what he said. There were thus two things which the Savior did for us by becoming man. He banished death from us, and he made us anew. And invisible and imperceptible as in himself he is, he became visible through his works and revealed himself as the word of the Father, the word of life, the ruler and the king of the whole creation. Into broken matter, the creator stepped and said, I will lay my life down and I will pick it back up again. I will make all things new. And he came not teaching us how we could escape matter. He came promising that he would restore it to the glory of God and to its original intent. He came to transform the molecules and the men and the women he came as our grand provision. And poetically, John said that this great provision was life and light. He said the life was manifested among us. And he was light 
with no darkness. And he gave us two theological words. We learn a little vocabulary today in church. If our kids can learn trigonometry in school, Christians can learn vocabulary that's theological in church. And those two words are paraclete and propitiation. Uh, paraclete, you find that in chapter 2, verse 1. Some of your Bibles render it advocate. means helper. John said Jesus came to be a helper to sinners. Now this is a rather simple line, but it's profound in its implication. And if you're wondering if a relationship with God is possible, it might be the one you need to pay attention to the most today. If you're wondering what a God could feel about you, John said, the God we know in the face of Christ is a friend to sinners. Is a friend to sinners. The writer of Hebrews would say it like this, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. To me, these are some of the most radical words in the Bible. That Jesus Christ came, took on flesh, dwelled among us. And it makes sense that he would heal. It makes sense that he would calm the seas. It makes sense that he would walk on water. What is a radical thought is that while all that was going on, he was tempted in every single way you have ever been tempted without sin. Every shortcut, every short change, every grasp, every grab, tempted Jesus. Yet. And Scripture says because of this, he gets it. We have a sympathizing Jesus if you wonder what he's like, this is what he's like. He has love for you. He has a tenderness for you. He has a heart for you. And the writer of Hebrews says, because this is true, it makes good sense that you would come to him, that you would run to him, that you would come boldly to him because he gets you and he loves you and he is approachable. I bet if Tim Stafford had to do it all over again, he'd look at his co-worker in the face with his hands in the suds and he would say, oh, what I think it means is he's so good and he loves you so much and you can come to him because he's come for you. Yes, he's our provision. And he's our provision because he is the paraclete, the helper. Christians used to sing 
J. Wilbur Chapman's old song, the words went like this, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. And how do we know this? Because he said it. That would be enough. But scripture knows that's not enough for us. We can know what he said is true because he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John said he was our propitiation. He was our cleansing sacrifice. In the face of a holy God, and Christ is holy, good. Face of a holy God who cannot tolerate wickedness and sin because of justice and rightness. God has to shout a grand no. But because of his love, he makes a way where there is no way in our brokenness. And the just judge is judged in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. John said, he is blood makes us whole. His blood cleanses us. Now I know when you go to the conferences, they say don't preach on the blood of Jesus because that's just weird. Flannery O'Connor said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you odd. I'd rather be odd than wrong. I'd rather be weird than lost. This world is so crazy that the truth of God seems so upside down. And what God has done to make it right is come among us and bleed blood. Because blood is life. Blood is life. We were dead and he wanted to give us life, so he gave us his life. And in that is our cleansing and our forgiveness. And it can be ours by faith because he's offered us this in amazing grace. So what will we do? I believe that the provocative possibility is a live possibility and we can know God because he wants to be known. John believed that and taught us that and he told us what to do. He said receive the life and walk in the light. He says the word of life has come among us and we can have the word in us. We can receive it. In the gospel he would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, would not perish but would have life because that person had the son, the very word of life. So the question today is have you received the life that has been offered you in God, this is the beginning of a relationship with the Lord. He has offered life. Will you receive it freely as a gift? And synonymous with that is this beautiful phrase, you will walk in the light. He says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, 
You must walk in the light. And what's that light business about? Well, certainly it's about his, his moral holiness, but it's more than that. That derives from it, it flows from it, but light is the source of life. In the creation narratives, let there be what? Light. It started the whole blame thing. Because from light comes life. He said, I want you to walk in the light, which is to live in the life that is provided by Christ. In John's day, they were trying to figure out another way, a more acceptable way, a more, a more cool within the cool van way, a more I want to be on the inside of the circle, but still sort of Christian-y way. They were trying to figure out another way. And John said, no, 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 no. Just walk in the light. Just walk in the light. And how do we do it? By confessing our sin and need to God and trusting him to be our provision, our savior. They said, don't walk in self-deception, John would say. Don't, don't claim that you have no sin. You say, that seems absurd. My sins are always before me. Yes, but we can deceive ourselves to believe that there is no sin, even as a category Good friend taking his family down to Disney World. Little kids are fighting in the back of the minivan. The youngest is, is torturing the middle one, and the middle one's fighting back. Dad's driving somewhere down around Biloxi. Turner said, quit doing that to your brother. To which this little girl looked at her father and says, I can't not hate him. God made me this way. Friends, we laugh, but that is a prevailing mindset. There are people who claim a creator God, they just will not acknowledge any reality of rebellion, sin, and fall. So whatever we wish to do, we just put a God sticker on it and say, this is the way it is. What's going on in John's day? It's going on now. And John said, don't walk in self-deception. Quit that. Confess and live. God can be known, but we have to know him on his terms. We can't recreate him in our own image. He's not the projection of our desires. He is the creator, the redeemer, and the stainer of the universe, the true and the living God. And we will not harness him or caricature him, but we can know him. Bless God, we can know him because he wants to be known. It was and is a laugh line. And simultaneously, the very truth at the heart of the universe. The question this morning is do you know Jesus? Let's stand and let's sing. Some of you are in the process of answering that question in your own heart. And I tell you, Scripture says to be merciful to those who doubt. You know why? Because God is merciful to those who doubt. <laughs> and He loves you. And as you're processing these things, know that God is at work in your life. I believe that in, in my heart of hearts. Today you might just want to stop after church and say, I need another discussion this week, Matt. This took me there, but I need to go further. If that's you, there's, there's space and there's time and there's grace and there's hospitality in the Spirit.
Some of you, the decisions are more close and personal and ready and you're, you're set. Some of you may have a decision you've made in the privacy of your heart that you'd make today publicly. Whatever it is, we all have decisions to make. We're all candidate for something because God is always at work in our lives. So what is he doing? And what will you by faith do in response? Will you do it for your good and for his glory? Will you do it as we sing? Andy?